outside the box. Standing by to join me is Zach Ferber of Ferber Fitness. And we're going to talk about his road to how he started his fitness business, uh, the challenges along the way. And I've known him for quite some time now. So um, I actually haven't seen him for a while. I'm looking forward to catching up. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, we were talking about it. it's been about two years. I can't believe it. But um, I'm so appreciative that you have me back. And I'm very excited to, to chat. Absolutely. You Gosh, I think I have known you for, what is it, over 10 years, maybe? I mean, I knew you growing up. I knew your siblings. Yeah. yeah. That must have been at least at least 10, because that would have made me 17. So probably probably 15, probably yeah. longer than that. Wow. And a side note, I used to sit on the sidelines with your mom. We used to watch our daughters playing basketball. And I didn't, I found out that she was from... Newton, correct? Newton, yeah, Massachusetts. good memory. Good memory. Because my grandmother, my grandparents were from Newton, Massachusetts. So <laughs> I was like, what? You're from the East Coast and you're from Newton? That's so cool. She used to call it Juden because of all the, the, all, all the Jews. Yeah, she said it's the, yeah. it was her most uh, Jewish area of Boston in her, in her eyes, I guess. But uh, yeah, I remember being at those and um, outside of Tarboot and watching, watching everybody play basketball. It was, it's... Uh, I look back fondly. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> now, did you, you grew up in California, correct? Yes. So I, I was born and raised in Orange County. And um, since then, I have lived in pretty much every area of California. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I went from, let's see, from after my mom passed away in 2015, I moved up to Berkeley. So from Orange County to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, then I was up in Sonoma for school. Um, then I went from Sonoma to San Luis Obispo. Then I went from San Luis Obispo to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Inland Empire, like Redlands area. Um, yeah, then back to LA. And then now I'm in San Diego. So the only place I have to go is, is Redding and, and I'll be good to go. <laughs> and I remember when we last spoke, I believe you were in like in the operating room, assisting on different things. I mean, I'm kind of squeamish, but (laughs) knee replacements and. Yeah. So it's really interesting how, you know, I was, when we were speaking, it was such an integral part of my journey of grief, of, of mental health, of getting back to me. And I was still, I thought I had figured it out, but I was still like deep in the coping, negative coping, coping mechanism. I was Mm -hmm. kind of working in, in med device and I transitioned to trauma because I was like, you know what? I want to impact more people. I want to help. Um, and it ended up making me almost lose my mind. I mean, I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, I would get calls at midnight to 2 a.m. about cases adding on, about having to go to the hospital. So, and then kind of seeing how that transitioned into COVID, it was the hospitals are were impossible to get into. They make it super difficult. There was a ton of... I want to say malpractice, but just poor decisions being made on the doctor's end and mm-hmm. on our end and on the staff and shorts nurses didn't want to come into work. Nobody knew how to protect themselves. I remember standing outside of an operating operating room um, because I wasn't allowed in because it was a COVID case. Yeah. No one had indicated it was a COVID case. So somebody could have just walked in. Um, and then I was walkie talking to the nurse inside to tell them what, to, you know, what 
we call them sets. So the, the implant trays, what implants to grab, what to set up for the doctor. Okay. And then one of the safety, COVID safety specialists accidentally bumped the door and opened up. And so all of a sudden everybody's running and I'm standing there like, what are we, what are we? So long story short, I got COVID twice. Well, I was going to ask, yeah. you got it. <laughs> yeah. So the first time it was, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm, you know, very fit. And mm -hmm. I like to think I eat really, really well. And I was out of commission for about seven days. I lost nine pounds. Wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty gnarly. Um, the second time was more like the sniffles. Um, okay. But yeah, it was no joke. And um, I just realized I woke up one morning to 300 phone calls, my anxiety was through the roof. And I was like, it's just, no, I'm not, I'm not making a crazy amount of money. I'm not right. happy. Even if I was making a crazy amount of money, it's yeah. not, it's not worth it. No, no, no. And it's not, and it's not, I'm not seeing direct impact. There's so much, um, just like with everything, right. You, you right. see kind of the backside of the, the, the dark side of whatever you're doing. And there's so many money handoffs and all this exactly. crazy stuff. So, exactly. um, yeah, I've kind of jumped more into the one-on-one -on -one helping people since then. And it's been um, super, super rewarding. Um, Meaningful. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Seeing it's a di different impact, right? Like I have, you know, watching somebody who's has a broken leg get fixed and walk again versus someone who's in an unhappy marriage and unhealthy mm -hmm. kind of coming out of that. Um, somebody I'm thinking about in particular who kind of found themselves, got a new job, you know, found a new partner and, and is kind of in the last year, just really come into himself. So it's pretty, amazing. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. 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 Because I would imagine it's not just a physical, but it's an internal emotional, you know, makeover. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like with, with everything, right. Like I what it was me trying out a few programs while I was working all the time, just wanting things to be set up for me so that I could just kind of like not have to think, have everything on autopilot. Um, and I tried a different, a couple different coaches that I met online and, um, unfortunately it didn't feel, it just felt very generic and it wasn't like you're saying, it wasn't the actual mindset switch of like, I need to be interested in this process in myself because nobody else is going to be as interested in me as I am. Um, so, you know, that's why everything starts, right? I'm sure the podcast too, you heard somebody else doing it and you're like, exactly. you know I could do this. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's when I, and I've don't want to compromise that integrity as I start to bring in more people. Like that's the one thing that I want to do is be able to maximize results with minimal, with their minimal effort. So sure, sure. mindset, you know, mental health, mm -hmm. all being baked into physical health as well. Now, when you were in that job, that was just chewing you up. I bet you didn't have much time for, to work out and take care of yourself. Um, not really. I was, you know, I'd go through those, those, very circular patterns, right? Start waking up at four in the morning, go to the gym for a week, mm. prep your meals, and then mm -hmm. crash and burn and sleep yeah. for 12 hours on the on my one Smash day off. the alarm clock. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's a little different when you're like, shoot, I have to be in surgery. It's like yeah. the stress is on. So yes. I wasn't sleeping much. I wasn't eating much. That's um, awful. But, you know, I, I will say um, it takes getting to that point before you can rebound. Yep. So yeah. um, even mentally, right? Like realizing and, and sitting with that anxiety and be like, wow, this was not here a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, right? Like nothing happens in a day. So unraveling that yeah. also takes some time. Yeah. Well, 
I started going to therapy less than a year mm. ago because I just felt like there were a lot of things I wasn't dealing with. I was kind of avoiding and avoiding and even childhood trauma. And we tend to just say, we're fine, we're fine. And go, go, go at this warp speed. And we're not mm. thinking we're an autopilot. And I feel like the pandemic gave us an opportunity to really peel back the layers. If you were really paying attention to what matters right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was always, I very much, even with my parents being sick, right. They were sick for so long. And that was my mentality, right. I'm going to work three jobs. I'm going to do a bodybuilding show. I'm going to play ice hockey. I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, work out. I, it's like, there's, there's so much jam packed into your life that you don't have a moment to step back, take a breath yeah. and go, Whoa, what, what am I dealing with right now? Yes. What, what's going through me? Um, and it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I feel like I have enough hours of, of therapy to be a therapist myself, but, um, <laughs> It wasn't until recently that I found other kind of modalities of, and it's so funny because growing up in Orange County, my dad and my mom, very like conservative household. And now I'm over here doing like breathwork ceremonies and like <laughs> just getting out of my comfort zone. And it's so it's refreshing. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. I did my first hour of breathing, which is so counterintuitive to me because you do it all the time, but like right. hour of deep breathing and I haven't cried like that in so long. It was it was very beautiful to kind of let let yourself sit with something, then unravel it and understand like what are those traumas that I'm holding on to, whether it's childhood or something that I've been telling myself for a while, and how do I, you know, become not even fix them, just become understanding that they're there. Yes. Um, yes. And that's that's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you do that? Was that that event in Laguna Beach recently? Um, no, actually. So uh, there's a ton of breathwork practitioners out here in San Diego and okay. all over the world. Now they're doing it virtually, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, yeah. But my friend has a, a barn house, I guess you would call it. And he okay. invited some people over. And I, I swear it's like such a 180 for moving out here. I feel like I a, know. a little bit of a hippie, but we're doing beach yoga and then we're going to breathwork. And it's like, I've never taken that time for myself. And I yeah. think you know, a lot of people think it's a waste of time, but I don't it's think an investment. That. It's an investment in yourself yeah. and it's more impactful than money because it's an investment of a resource you can't get back, which is your time. Yeah. Right. I'll, yeah. I'll share something along that line. So yeah. I, years ago when I started going to yoga, my dad was really sick. He had stage four cancer and I go to yoga and I would cry and I'm like, what's the mm. matter with me? I don't want anybody seeing me crying like this. But then I started thinking about my mom and all this trauma with her. And, and finally I'm in a place where when I go to yoga, I'm like, ah, oh, like I just feel so much more at ease and relax and at peace with things. And I think that you need to get to that place. And a lot of people say, I don't have time or I don't want to do that breath work, mm. but it's like with anything you need to make time. Yeah. Well, you know? thank you for sharing. That's yeah. I mean, yoga is, I love, I do hot yoga too now. And it's like, it's the, kind of the both ends of my crazy spectrum right working out as hard as you can but then yeah. also like taking time to, to sit back in in your feelings and I think that's why the gym is so popular too right like it's like your investment right. of your hour to go get angry and lift heavy things but yeah. um you know that's not necessarily always the the answer to getting the deep down right exactly yeah so wow. I want to rewind and mm. and you know before we started I I asked if we could talk about this but Years ago, I remember I went to the um, service for your dad because he had mm. cancer. Yeah. Did you did you know he had cancer for a while? Like what what happened? 
Yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was um, I laugh now because it's such like a funny, it's not funny, but it's, it's just so interesting. Like he had cancer four times. So it's what? almost like, four yeah, times? It's a, four times. I don't he think went I knew that. Okay. He went into remission four times before it, um, it wasn't even the cancer that killed him. It was uh, something called graft versus host disease. What is which that? Happens, yeah. So it's um, with blood cancers. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is, oh. you know, in your lymph nodes and it spreads. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, you, once you run out of treatment options and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is a very curable cancer. So once you run out of those treatment options, um, they actually recommend a stem cell transplant, which is somebody else's stem cells or your own, mm -hmm. um, that is taken right out of their blood, um, spun down in an apheresis machine and given back to you. Uh, you have to be pretty much on the verge of death. Um, so an immunity of zero, they give these, introduce these stem cells to you. And these are amazing cells that pretty much go in and figure out how to reboot your system. This is the only procedure in the world where let's say I went. Um, I would change blood types to my donor's blood type. Whoa. Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden the cells start creating healthy cells okay. and you regenerate um, without those cancer mutations. Um, and funny enough, that's what I did after college. Right? It was my first job out of college was with Be The Match, it's called. So yes. if you got, if anybody's listening, please, 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 I implore you, go to bethematch.com. Be okay. You can have a kit sent to your house. You swab the inside of your mouth, you send it back. 90% of people will never get, never get called. If you do get called, you donate blood and they take the stem cells out of your blood. It's that okay. easy. Be the match. I'll put that on there. Yeah. They've saved over a hundred thousand people so far. So That's it's amazing. pretty, yeah. So, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, sickle cell anemia, um, leukemia, you know, all of those diseases basically. So what happened for my dad, right. Was he was diagnosed. I remember it was, um, October 31st, 2006, hard day to forget. Uh, mm -hmm. We're running around in our Halloween costumes and he went for surgery because he had some pain in his spleen. So they were going to just take out his spleen and they found mm -hmm. cancer. Um, so he went through his first round of chemo, um, went into remission. And then it would just, it's just, it just happened. He would just wake up with a tumor um, the size of a golf ball on his, on the side of his face or on his what? chest or yeah, it was crazy. Like how long would it take to, to notice that was growing? It, it'd be like night and day. So like he'd go to bed and then we'd wake up and his eye would be, I have pictures somewhere. I, I'm not going to send Whoa. them to you because they're pretty, they're pretty gnarly, but yeah, wow. it would be like just out of nowhere. So I've never that heard that before. Three times. Yeah. I mean, imagine that poor guy must've been so, I mean, to hold it all together and then wake up with a big tumor on the side of his face. It's just That's, that ugh. fast. I've never heard that. That's unbelievable. The, well, the blood, I mean, it's circulating in the blood. So yes. I've got to imagine, yeah. um, and my, my memory could be a little spot, spotty, but I seem to remember it being like one second it was there, one second it wasn't, one second it was there, yeah. one second it wasn't. And I just remember him coming home after the third round of cancer, being in remission, bald, no, no eyebrows, and he disappeared for like eight hours. And we were all freaking out. And he came home and he had this huge tattoo of like a scroll with doves and like the date, each date he went into remission, Okay. Um, and it was, it was, I, I was like, that's so silly. And um, unfortunately he got it again, but, um, it was just so interesting to see that was his coping, right? Like I'm going to yeah. go get my yeah. tattoo now. <laughs> oh, she, she was used to his shenanigans. He would come home <laughs> with a different car every three months. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I do remember so, that story. 
so he used to work in the automotive industry and it's mm -hmm. pretty hard not to get uh he liked flashy things so yeah. he'd bring home a different car every other week and she'd be like Ugh, not again <laughs> another car <laughs> another car yeah. but yeah so that was his um his path with with his cancer and it was six years of kind of like on and off and at the end um so he passed from graft versus host which which is like when you give stem cells there's still a chance that your body rejects them and fights it okay. so then your body's just pretty much kills itself almost because it rejects mm -hmm. rejects the new cells okay um unfortunately his sibling was supposed to donate but wasn't able to do it last minute um so we had to find a stand-in and it didn't, it wasn't as great a match. So he, yeah, within 24 hours, he was, and that was a very brutal uh, passing, watching him like squirt blood out of his mouth. We were suctioning and wiping and- He was um, at the hospital though. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Looking back, I'm not sure why they had us in the room because- I know. <laughs> three little kids like wiping their father's blood and stuff. Yeah. But um, I, I don't think I would have had it any other way because at least I got to be there. That's true. That's true. Because yeah. how old were you at that time? That was 2012. Yeah, he passed okay. in 2011. Okay, in, 2011. In May 2011. Okay. Um, actually, I have it. But you were young. Oh, so right look here. at you. That's <laughs> yeah, a Hamsa, the same thing. Right, Hamza? Yeah, so he actually got us all Hamsas and we wore them, um, all, all the men in the family, and he's buried with his actually. So um i just felt like it was a good uh yeah. yeah so he passed may 28 2011 which is my aunt's birthday unfortunately <laughs> but okay. um uh yeah it was um a couple days after the summer it was it was pretty quick so at least he didn't suffer for too long yeah when you got the tattoo was it shortly thereafter yeah i think it was a couple months i was 18 when he passed i just turned 18 okay um no i turned 18 at, right after he passed away so 17 when he passed i turned 18 and within like a couple days of me turning 18 i got the tattoo and then i just remember because i was working out at home that time i would just wear a shirt because i was so afraid my mom was gonna freak out and that was my next question <laughs> <laughs> so when i finally showed her she was like i like it <laughs> i was like okay can i see it one more time i like it yeah too. of course and how does that what did that do for you, you know, mentally, emotionally having that on you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's funny, I laughed at my dad for doing it, and I go ahead and do it. But it's just, mm -hmm. um, it's almost like associating pain with the, with the situation. And then when it's done, it almost felt like this emotional release, like, yeah. okay, that mm -hmm. I've helped me move through that. And since then, I've gotten, you know, more, um, after my mom passed, I got a huge rose on my side for her. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the same feeling. I waited like six months after, got it. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like this stage of grief moving through. Yeah. Um, so maybe it just created that like sense that she'll live on forever. And yeah. that's why it was yeah. so amazing to me. Um, I think my favorite is we have um, me, my brother, and my sister all have LUB. So it stands for love you best. My mom used to say it to us, oh. her side of the family. So we all have that matching. And it's just very- She said um, that all to you individually. I love you best. Bless you. <laughs> that way there's no confusion, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I have so. such good memories of your mom. Um, I remember her car. 
with the eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> that was her her dream because we had a we had a puppy. We got a puppy, and her dream was always to have a Mini Cooper. So we named our puppy Cooper. And then finally, when she got, she was sick, she was like, screw it, we're getting one. And I bought her the eyelashes for her birthday one year. And yeah, it It was fun. You know, as a community, we were shocked to Mm. first, you lose your dad and then your mom was lung cancer, right? Yeah, she had a stage four non-small cell lung cancer. Yeah. And she was actually propped up on a, on a um, experimental treatment for about two years I remember um, yeah and then you know it's it's nuts the, the way I remember because I went to every single one of her doctor's appointments walking in and the doctor saying yeah so your numbers are pretty much stagnant there's a little bit of decrease so we, we have to take you off and we're like uh, what does that mean and what he's does that like mean? Yeah. yeah he's like well you're gonna have to go find a new oncologist best of luck that what was that was it so because the studies, right, these are not FDA approved, they want to make sure everything's oh. trending in the right direction. Okay. So I don't know if it ever became approved, but it was literally, it was like two pills a day. She kept all of her hair yeah. and it kept the cancer at bay. And I was just mm-hmm. blown away that this man could make this decision about her life. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, not, not man, human being can make yes. this decision. Exactly. And just leave a son on the street. And but, psychologically, uh, yeah. not only did that hurt you, but it must have hurt her. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, I, I just was speaking to someone in the community who's dealing with a parent who has cancer and was like trying to, it, it, it comes down to at that point, right? You, you're just grasping at straws to survive and you have 300 people telling you to do 300, you know, do this juice cleanse, do go to Canada and get this powder. But we heard it all and, and it's just, it's, so overwhelming at a time where you need to kind of just be in your lane. I know. Um, I know. So. And I have a friend who I adore mm. who has stage four breast cancer. Mm. And she was told she had three months. We're coming up on three years. So nobody wow. can tell anyone this is your days. This is exactly when you're going to go. It, you know, and she never did cannabis or anything like that. I mean, excuse mm. me, not cannabis, never did chemo. Yeah, yeah, she she did other things, cannabis yeah. and other things. It's working. It's <laughs> a, apparently because she's still here and we're still alongside of her, you know. You know, I, I wish there was more evidence based on just mindset. I mean, it's just amazing how people can weld themselves out of these these scenarios sometimes yeah. and obviously it's it's a good push in the direction of healthy habits but um if you view yourself as like a living breathing organism and you start thinking like okay i am healthy i am well mm-hmm. like there's so much paradoxical evidence online that that could be helpful i agree rather than the other side so I it's agree. very interesting yeah i know because to hear you have three months she I wasn't kind of- gonna sit back and take that no, especially yeah. after, after my dad, it was like one after his, my dad passed. Yeah. We were kicked out of the house because of the stock market crash. So we, five days after my dad died, we moved. Um, oh, and then five and then she was days, five days, freaking landlord was, he was in our lives for a reason, but, uh, it was definitely not a, not a great scenario right after he passed. My mom wasn't, you, you remember my mom, she was so pig headed about this. She would, she did not for weeks did not tell this guy that my dad was sick 
like after, you know, during the, like when we knew he was going to pass. So it was, it was her bringing it on to us too, I think. So yeah. <laughs> he might've been a little bit more lenient if he had known. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, something you said earlier is, and I was just talking to someone about this. It's like the community, you know, I had a lot of mental health stuff going on a lot. I mean, who wouldn't, but the community, you guys were what really propped me up. And, and then it really taught me that being alone is a, is a choice. It's a hard choice to, to get yourself out of, right? It's not easy, but yeah. there are 8 billion people on this planet, however many right. we're up to now. If, yeah. if you reach out, there are people like yourself and yeah. like people in this community that will have open arms. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the beauty in the lesson for me was creating that community is so important to me in my life and, and, yeah. you know, my journey forwards. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I've ever gotten a chance to thank you, but for everything you Absolutely. do and have done and Absolutely. that goes for everybody listening, like anybody who is part of that Orange County Jewish community. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I remember I wanted to do something and somebody said, we're starting this meal train. And so I would sign up other people would sign up and we would just show up with like coolers of food. And I remember your mom would answer the door or it would be unlocked and I would just walk in and be like, Hey, Tony. Um, yeah. So. Well, I'm getting, getting chills. I mean, the, that, those moments, you can't imagine how much it, it meant to have, um, to have like a warm meal when she was, especially when she was getting sick there at the end, it was yeah. just yeah such a ray of sunshine. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We, we just I knew we just wanted to do something and we all felt like there wasn't so much we could do. But if we could surround you with moments that you felt cared for, that's what it comes down to, you know? Yeah. And I think that's any, everything, everything, something only anyone can ask for. I don't know if that's the right way to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I wanted, I want to go back a little bit and you don't mm. have to share in such great detail, but after your dad passed away, you went through a really, really hard time. And I, I know this is like before the mental health pandemic that we're in, but mm. I feel like, and I had said this to you, perhaps that made you uh, more aware of any struggles you've had the past three years and maybe made you a little bit more resilient in some way. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's a very interesting, it's just, it's, it's, I think it goes back to me into that aloneness, right? Like when you mm -hmm. feel that isolation, that aloneness and that yeah. definitely the pattern is there, I think for a lot of people right now. Um, but, you know, when my dad was really, really sick, um, I was uh, suicidal and I did make a couple attempts and mm -hmm. Um, on one of them, my mom found me and helped me get into a, basically dropped out of high school at the time and helped me get into a program that, that really, really helped to, uh, at first they were trying to push pills and trying to get me, you know, on the right medication for my hormones or whatever. Okay. Um, and eventually it ended up being connecting with one of the therapists and really working on my coping mechanisms that, um, that helped me. Um, and that kind of led me to where I am now. But yeah, I mean, the, the similarities from that feeling of, you know, just that depth of isolation and aloneness could very well be felt 
during COVID, I'm sure for a lot of people and for myself, you know, I'd come home working that many hours, just mentally, physically exhausted mm-hmm. and just break down. Um, and I had a long time, a hard time crying uh, for the longest period after my parents passed. Um, it's only recently that I've been able to kind of release in that way, but um, it was just a lot of anger, a lot of anxiety, a lot of throwing myself into more work, throwing myself into more unhealthy habits. Um, you know, whether I I did go down the the drug route for a little while, nothing too, too crazy, but, you know, still trying to numb with those substances. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's important for people. I mean, if somebody had said to me, like, be easy on yourself, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people just need to hear that right now. Like you're going through so much. It's all valid. Whatever your feelings valid. Um, I think we touched on this earlier too, like that feeling of being resilient and and dealing with so much and expanding right at such a young age to what my capacity is all of a sudden like numb the smaller things. So like I'll get rear-ended and I'm like, whatever, whatever. (laughs) It's not a big, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, the relativity of it all, like what I feel, I'll never know what you feel. You'll never know what somebody else feels. So mm-hmm. I remember that being like the hardest thing to hear is like, I know exactly how you feel. And I'm like, I don't care oh, if both your on. parents no. passed away and you had two younger siblings and you were dealing, it's never, you can never really know. So yeah. yeah, not necessarily be there for someone in that way. I mean, you can be empathetic, but just being like, give yourself a break, like take a minute, take a breath and look at all you're doing. Mm-hmm. It may not feel like a lot, especially I think since the kind of add in of, of work from home, it's like all of a sudden your workspace becomes your life space. It all starts to bleed together. Yes. And people tend to forget that we are not our work. Um, yeah. And then that, I mean, that, that spinning in your head starts going as you're, you're working until 6, 7, 8 PM because you can. Yeah. And you start feeling that that creeping in of anxiety, depression, and mm-hmm. just taking a step back and resetting boundaries and knowing you're not alone is just, I think, priceless. It's, yeah. it's important. Yeah. No, it's it's great perspective you're sharing because a lot of people are going through so much. I mean, if you just every day that seems like there's an article from Mental Health America or something else on LinkedIn that talks about, you know, suicide rates are up, you know, depression, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, abuse. And knowing how to handle certain situations is everything right now well and i think that's that's the the double-edged sword of where we are at right this is something that nobody has ever like the history of humanity has never experienced before this kind of a you know depth of new lifestyle so quickly and then on the other side you know you have we have the chance to really stop and look at these statistics and look at these articles and and say what what can we do right now mm-hmm. just to start chipping away? Yes. Um, and I'm very hopeful that we're getting to that point where, you know, it's been two years now or whatever, how long this has been going on. Like we're getting yeah. to the point where people are starting to wake up and realize this, this may be how life continues. You know, we will always have some sort of a um, byproduct of COVID. So let's figure out how to live healthy and sustainably while living with it. Um, sure. And I'm, yeah, I'm really, I mean, I'm really hopeful <laughs> we're getting to the point where people are going to start. I think so. Yeah. 
Help and us. I know businesses want to keep their doors open, but I feel strongly that if they don't prioritize mental health, whether it's a business or a school, uh, then how are people supposed to be successful in any way? I mean, if, if let's say you're a high school student and you've experienced so much, you go off to college and you're going to implode. Mm. You know, you don't have the coping skills. So I, I feel that schools really need to, you know, here they adopted STEM and STEAM and all that. Um, but where's mental health in the curriculum and where's mm. mental health in a business model at a business? Where are the moments to get off your phones and stop having all these meetings, you know, grinding out productivity? Like, why yeah. aren't we, why aren't we doing the yoga and the breathing in the corporate world? Some places well, are. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that I, I was not, uh, very privy to the, to the LinkedIn, you know, society that's starting to grow the communities. Yeah. Um, and I recently started, you know, posting and, and reaching out and having, and I've blown away. I mean, it's only been a month, but the connections I've made there, yeah. it's the, the conversations are starting to trend towards mental health and towards, you know, understanding how can you be um, the best version of you and then add work on top of that. So prioritizing of self and then prioritizing work. And I think those conversations right. are, are going to start happening more and more and more because we've gotten to this point. I think we've all been about consumption and productivity for so long mm -hmm. um, without realizing again, like if you don't stop and take a breath and look at where, right. you know, work, work-life balance is, is such a keyword now. It's such a, like a, a, you know, I think with anything, there's that, that emotion, right. You talk about, yeah. I thought you're going to go down the road of like school should be open and, and COVID shouldn't be a thing. And I'm, you know, there's so much anger, and, and emotion behind it is just hard to have a logical conversation right. about these things. Yes. And that's from those deep traumas, right? And right. we're only gonna see more and more of them. So looking right. at the individual as a person and rather than you know the emotions surrounding it, I think sure. is gonna be the way to, to move forward, especially in corporate. I mean, could you imagine just having a boss that goes, Zach, it seems like you're a little off. Do you wanna take a day? Like what's going on? Are you okay? Yeah. Like yeah. just taking a an investment in you. Exactly. Like it's it's huge. You're gonna feel huge. heard, cared for, someone with compassion, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think about the doctors and the nurses that have been so burnt out. I mean, they didn't really have a heads up to prepare for this. So people have left the profession, talk about anxiety and depression, and then teachers. So yeah. you know, I think about in my conversations with students, them saying, you know, we only have one mental health counselor and there aren't any programs in place or I feel like that person isn't trained properly. Well, they didn't have any strong training to get ready for a pandemic. It was like, hey, tomorrow we're remote. And so I feel like there needs to be policy changes in place that need to move forward to say, let's take, let's provide preventative care, right? For students, mm -hmm. preventative care for employees. So there's not so much weight on the mental health professionals. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes back to preventative versus reactive, and we are a very reactive society. Yeah. Um, and I hope that that will change. But I mean, I've talked to, on LinkedIn actually, talked to a couple different educators who are mm -hmm. trying to jump from in that realm because there's, I mean, even just the investment in them, like the money they make for the work they put in, it's insane. I mean, I talked to someone with 15 years of experience who 
isn't making enough to pay for school supplies and yet has to try to figure out how to engage students and deal with COVID and right. be the mental health professional and be the yes. one-on-one professional. It's just, there's, it's broken right now. It's, it it's is broken. Very broken. It yeah. is broken, which is why I wanted to write this book because I was thinking about the mental mm-hmm. health pandemic and we were in a mental health crisis before the pandemic. And here we are in this pandemic. And I really feel like there has to be some strong changes made because even going back to 2021, I got this fellowship at Columbia. I was so mm-hmm. happy about it. And we talked about intergenerational strategies. So mm-hmm. if you connect a college student with somebody who's retired and that retiree has been pushed aside to be safe and socially isolated so you don't get COVID, they're lonely and depressed. But yeah. when you do something to bring them together, even if it's virtual, you're lifting two people up, two generations, right? Mm. And there's value wow. in somebody that's retired, you know, like a grandparent that had a lot going there's on. There's more value than we we tend to give as a society. We tend to yeah. throw them in a, I took a whole class about that in, in undergrad. And it's yeah. it's so sad because they've seen so many generations and so many seasons of right. what life that yes. we're kind of just discrediting. Yes. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope programs like that, you know, start to become more of a a norm. And as we switch to more, I think curriculum is going to change more to hands-on type learning than it is, you know, especially with the new tools that have had to come from this pandemic. That's, I'm excited for the opportunity for younger generations to learn faster and more streamlined and better than honestly than we did I did not get a lot out of my high school or or I hope they don't hear this my undergrad like I did <laughs> I got a diploma yeah but like sure. critical thinking and and learning right. how to adapt it's just not that's not something they teach um and yeah. there's very few classes that are actually going over this kind of material exactly. which I think is so vital yes Yes. Uh, One of the things that I'm looking to do, and it's going to go in the book, is talk about my care initiative. Mm. This happened in the pandemic and it started with donuts. This is, I'll make this a quick story, but um, I was out with uh, my daughter, Tovia, who you know, and she'd had like a lousy Monday and she had, she wasn't, she wasn't making a lot of money because she's a full-time student. She says, oh, I went to get, you know, breakfast in this donut place. They messed up my order and the computers are down no receipts. I said, we just go back with the cup and the bag. It's fine. And we were running errands and um, we pull up and they said, we're closed to the drive-thru. And I said, well, we just want to get her money back. We're closed. And I said, well, may I please speak with a manager? And there was no manager. And this really nice 18 year old comes over and he says, thank you for not yelling. Everybody was yelling at us. The computers are down. Can I give you some donuts? Of course, we'll give you your money back. And I said, I thank you. I don't, we don't really want the donuts. We don't need donuts anymore. And he said, could you please pull around the back? I want to show you something. So I pull around the back. He opens up the side door and there's this huge rack from floor to ceiling of bagels and donuts, croissants, everything. He says, all this every day goes in the trash. Oh my gosh. So he said, could you please take whatever you want and go find some people that are homeless and just give them whatever you want. So I take the food and it was, it was late. So I, the next day I found some places that 
feed, you know, single moms and their kids or, you know, feed people experiencing homelessness. And I exchanged numbers. So I went like five, six days a week to to this donut place. And I would bring my daughters and sometimes they were having like a lousy day and we walk out of there at the end and we're, we've had great conversations with the employees because who do they talk to? Like, what do people really say to them during the day? I'll take my coffee black with sugar. I mean, right. So great conversations, just connecting on a human level in the pandemic and load up my truck and we'd go to like five or six places. It, It was a perspective shift because what happened was I start noticing people off the freeway with signs like, and I'd say to my daughter, like, okay, give me a box of donuts, roll down the window, you hand somebody something. And a lot of students feel they're not connected and they want to do something meaningful. And this is an opportunity Mm. to do something. Wow. Yeah. To just, and they can pick anything. It's just the power of connection, attention to mental health resilience and education on issues that really matter in 2022. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this is, it gives me a, a bigger hope for younger generations. I feel like remembering me at 18, I don't think I would have been as, as savvy to be able to say like, Hey, Hey, would you mind coming around back and taking a look at and see if you can 18. help? But it really upset him. Wow. I mean, I, I'm seeing younger and younger people are starting nonprofits, the accessibility is there. Yeah. So people are looking for that voice. And I, I think empowering like you're doing is that's, that's key right there. And that's what I mean. So are you, you're doing that now from, from now on or? No, well, I started doing it and then I, I mean, I can't do it all the time. I was trying yeah, to recruit yeah. high school students and I couldn't okay. really find anybody during the pandemic, but I'm, what I'm going to do is start this as a self-sustaining student-led club. Campuses. Mm. So I introduce them to the concept, each part of the care initiative, you know, the C-A-R-E, and um, basically teach them this model so they can continue this as a club to do good. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, yeah, I mean, I was going to say getting getting clubs involved, getting those right. uh, leadership groups involved on campus. And, and I yeah. think probably more people would be open to doing this than than I even could realize. But um I think it's it's giving the availability for like you're saying to to be right. that person to to step up and do something like this is is amazing. Well, it's funny with social media. So I I was telling some parents on this um, group on Facebook about it, and they said my student is depressed, my student is lonely, my, and I said, well, this is an opportunity to volunteer and do something. Mm. Some didn't have cars. I said, well, we can figure out carpool. But the point is just to do something because, you know, like you do something to get out of your mindset and you feel good helping somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, I was here at the, um, they do a once a week, a farmer's market out here and a um, couple, a couple interesting. The first one was, I mean, I love the volunteer. I love to, to, you know, I volunteered with JFS for a while after everything. And um, I felt the same way. Like I felt like, with with covid and yeah. everything was closed i mean gfs is not a thing anymore um a lot of a lot of things are closed down so i thought the availability wasn't there but there this woman goes educating me on the fact that now you can i'll have to find the organization and send it to you but people can literally find opportunities at home to send things to people to create stuff to, really and it, it, it's yeah it's, yeah, let it's me inexpensive know. it's i think one of them was like um putting together 
baskets for people, creating, you know, sweet little sayings to send around. It's, it's beautiful. The, the amount of opportunities there are to help. Um, and then another person was telling me that they, instead of donating, they were told to go to a farmer's market mm-hmm. and start ha- helping a farmer who looks like they don't get a lot of business and helping them sustain their farm. That's and I thought great. that's a great idea too. Yeah. yeah. To be able to that's a yes. local small business too. And to be able right. to give back and have fresh produce. Great idea. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think people are starting to get a little bit smarter and a little bit more intuitive with how, how they can do these things. They see the opportunities like you did and yeah. go, you know, that would be easy for people to just sustainably do and, and yes. create some sort of program. So yeah. I think we, we need more of that. <laughs> uh, no, I agree. I, I'll tell you something funny. When, one morning I was dropping off uh, Einstein bagels because they donate mm. as well. And I see this dad and he's carrying these huge bags and he's sweating. And I said, oh, do you pick up from the local Einstein? He says, oh, my son started a nonprofit at like 15 and we helped him start it. And and he's like uh, 17 now. And but the dad was responsible for like certain days of the week. And he's sweating. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We're talking like 200, 300 bagels. And we were dropping them at the OC Mission, which helps about 100 families that are displaced. but yeah, it's, it's just nice to do something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Any uh, advice? We're going to wrap up soon. Any advice you'd give people that are struggling with mental health right now? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's kind of what we talked about, right? Making that choice to, to try to get out of your comfort zone, just a bit and put your hand up so that somebody can, yeah. can at least see you and, and be there for you. I think my, my biggest issue in, in the moment was not thinking anybody cared. And it's just so not true. There are people that care and uh, I make it as easy as possible for people to try to communicate with me, for people to try to like book time on my calendar, for communicate, for just having a 30 minute conversation can, can really just change your perspective on things. So um, when you're in that pit, it's just what's going to be the least amount of resistance for the most amount of reward. And I think just trying to have a conversation with someone, trying to go out of your way. Um, And then once you do get into, even if you don't feel like you get into the position where you're in to be able to volunteer or do something for somebody else, um, kind of take the the shift off the perspective shift off you and give and change it into giving is just um, it's, it's priceless. It's, it's so easy to do. And so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. You must feel at this stage, I mean, you went from here you are in the emergency room, not getting enough sleep, working your butt off. And now you have this more peaceful, it seems more fulfilling, well-rounded life. Mm. Am I right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, like I said earlier, I think once you start working on yourself, it's a never ending, right? Never ending yeah. journey. And you start sure. going deeper and deeper, but um, I, I feel way more aligned with what fills me up, what fills yeah. my cup up. I don't know if you've read that oh, book, yeah. but I, I, <laughs> I love that one. Um, and I mean, that's so simple to do is just look at your priorities, yes. look at where you're spending your time. And if they're not aligned, right? what do you want to do every day? What, do you, what makes you feel good? Because now more than ever, there's more ways to do more and, and sustain and live off mm-hmm. of nonprofits off of whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be and bring into this world. There's somebody who's done it. There's somebody who can show you how to do it. And there's some, there's a way to to make it happen. So if you feel out of alignment, it's your body telling you it's, it's time to, to find your purpose. 
and that shifts. I mean, it shifts all throughout, but yeah, I definitely think, I mean, it's even talking to you at the beginning, like confusing the dates that they were, they passed. And it's just those little things where it's like, whoa, it's was, it was a lifetime ago that this darkness and, and toxicity that I lived in for so long, it's almost like you forget that because it's, it's hard to remember what that was yeah. like. So, yeah. Um, what I was going to add to that is hearing your experience with breath work and meditation and yoga. It's a journey. It's not like an overnight thing where you're like, oh, now I know what was bothering me. It's like you just, like I said, peel away the layers and it, you need to be brave enough and willing to go on that journey. But it, it spills over into your other parts of your life. And I think one thing, you know, I'd love to kind of bring this up is I felt so uh, self-conscious and self just hatred towards me for a long time for being a sensitive man, for being someone really? who has emotions. Yeah, it's just, especially in a younger age, you know, you're supposed to be tough, especially going through what I did, you know, you're a man in a house, go do, do, do. Um, and I always kind of stowed that away but I've always been sensitive. I've always been emotionally more attuned with myself. And that's something that I looked down on for so long. And I know a ton of other men that I've met that have the same kind of way. They're not willing to open up. They're not willing to go there because it's looked as weakness, but there are spaces for that. And there are yeah. so, there's so much opportunity to kind of let that flourish and let that be yeah. you. And Right. I think it comes down to right maturity, realizing who you spend your time with. They can Definitely. either cherish that about you or not. But yeah. that's something, you know, I think it goes right along with the mental health because for so long I was living out of alignment of I have to be this macho bodybuilder, you know, I can't be sensitive or anxious or whatever. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, I tend to be the life of the party when I go to parties. I love yeah. to entertain and have friends, but I have crippling social anxiety and people would have never guessed that. Well, I always so, bring this up. Think of Robin Williams. Yeah. He, he yeah. suffered tremendously. He was one of my favorite comedians, actors. When you talk about being the life of the party, I understand the social anxiety, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, right alongside with mental health is, is cherishing your gifts and like Robin Williams, right? Being more emotionally in tune and knowing you're not the only one and it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be, you know, depressed, anxious, whatever you're feeling is fine. Just yeah. make sure you're not doing it alone and make sure that you have your, your circles. Yeah. Um, and be honest with yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's been a, a lot of <laughs> topics today. I feel like we've gone way, way around in different areas that I didn't realize we we're going to reach to, but I'm so glad. This that, is awesome. That, uh, this yeah. is so awesome. I'm going to have to take a road trip down to San Diego. <laughs> we have a spare bedroom, so uh, you're welcome anytime. A mile from the great. beach. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. And, and half a mile from Trader Joe's. I have my okay. priorities. All right. Jimmy, you told me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This so. has been so great. Thank you so much.